Do you ever get cold hands? I know I do. And it's not exactly like cold feet, but it sure can distract you from the business of writing, which is why, from the very same people who sponsored Writer's Block Coffee, I bring you the Writer's Glove. Check out the show notes to find out more. And without further ado, I want to introduce you to the longest podcast episode that I've brought you since Daniel Iacob, he of the poet from Idaho. I also want to introduce you to the most packed episode of marketing conversation that I have ever brought to the reluctant book marketer. Thomas Beleza is unlike anybody I had met up to the point that we were introduced and he reached out to me through Twitter. <laughs> Big surprise there, right? We started having a dialogue. I showed up on his podcast and had a conversation with him, left feeling like a complete fool, like I had no idea what I was doing. And so I did what any sensible person would do. I invited him onto my podcast. And the conversation really, really took off. We had so much fun. And I will be completely honest with you. He is the antithesis of my marketing philosophy in more ways than one. I've had other people on this show who don't agree with my marketing philosophy, and that's okay, because I want to bring you every different approach that I can find out there so that you can find a fit that works for you, because not everybody is going to fit with my approach. That said, I think that it is really fun, the conversation that develops around the one-hour mark, when we start really digging into, should you ask people to buy your book, or should you be so influential that they crave your book? I'm an asker. Thomas is an influencer. You get to decide what you think works better. I am so happy to share this episode with Thomas J. Beleza, the podcast host of The Right Mindset and lifelong learner, musician, writer, marketing expert, coach, on and on. Please enjoy my conversation with Thomas J. Beleza. Hey, I'm the Reluctant Book Marketer, and I've got just one question for you. Do you see your novel as a million-dollar asset? Because if you don't, and you want to, you're in the right place. This is the only show for novelists who want to shift their mindset away from fear and toward abundance. Because you can sell more books than you ever dreamed when you believe in what you're doing. You, you mentioned that you're a marketer, and so I want to have the conversation with you that I think you're most well-suited to have, uh, that I can't have with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk about uh, this this uh, misconception that a book comes out into the universe and there's zero anything you can do to make it sell or to uh, help it to sell. Mm-hmm. So I recently had a guest on my show. I'm a huge fan of his work. His name's Brad Listy. He is one of the pioneers of podcasting, uh, the Other People podcast. I've been listening to it since 2011 or 12. Um, and other than a short period where he got super political, I tuned in religiously to hear everything that was going on. I understand his point of view. 
what really surprised me and what was really delightful about talking with him is he ultimately came down to, we do our best, hopefully word of mouth takes off and your book just gets legs and runs. But if you are a literary fiction author specifically like he is, good luck controlling the marketing because it's just going to 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 be an obscure project and that's the fate of a literary writer since i myself am primarily a literary writer i have a huge stake in that perspective and mm-hmm. um, i want to hear from you not necessarily on literary but just in general your thoughts about that that point of view and where you may be aligned with it and where you differ uh, I disagree wholeheartedly with his uh, uh, disillusion of hope uh, only because I feel like and I don't know him personally, mm-hmm. but I know his story. And, you know, I've been in this industry, the entertainment industry mm-hmm. since basically 97, maybe a little earlier than that before I became, you know, in the. And the one thing that's very common among people with that mentality is the aspect that they never made it in the time frame that it made it. So now they're floating in that jaded essence. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think he's right in the sense of uh, he'll he'll never sell a book? Yeah, because once you become your truth by feeding yourself this this uh, this idea mm-hmm. that does what am I going to do? It also it's also turns into the well, if something happens, it'll happen. That'd be great. Right. Yeah. Or I'll really put a lot of time and effort to it once I'm getting paid for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Those are the, those are the kind of common things that I have heard and I have consulted people and heard them say to me, I will say this. There are two forms of marketing. OK, uh, there is brand marketing and then there's product marketing. All right. Brand marketing takes much longer to do, but has the greatest impact for longevity. Product marketing has a short-term return, but also does nothing for the long-term. And what that means is when Marvel releases a movie, they have the, the, the freedom to market the product because they've already established the brand. So once you establish a brand, you can now put money into product representation, which would be their movies, right? Because you have the strength of your brand. The problem with most creators and, and I'm saying this with the most respect, is they believe their product is so amazing, so awesome, and so unique, it itself is going to sell. Yeah. Yep. Right? And honestly, if you put time and money into, let's say, a book or a CD or a movie or whatever you're selling, even toothpaste, right? Uh, and then once you're done with that marketing and you release a new thing, that new thing either has to be identical to what you originally marketed or you have to start over because you, the best way I could explain is when I was in the music industry, first of all, the, one of my greatest mentors told me right to my face, I will never listen to your music. Mm. I says, but, but don't you have to enjoy it or anything? He goes, I don't, you have to enjoy it. It's your music. You're the one who's playing it. Do you like making your music or do you just make it just to make money? He goes, no, I, I, I was like, I love making my music. And he goes, that's all that matters. He goes, but I don't have to listen. To it. I don't like heavy metal. That's what he said. Because I, I like old for, I like Sinatra. He's like, but you're a marketing person and you don't know it. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you've already started your branding and it's amazing what you're doing with your branding. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> I was just naturally creating yeah. a, a community. And I was naturally creating a story and I was naturally creating something that I could connect with, with the audience. 
And I also was adding a little bit of my own person in there. Like I was adding something that was important to me. And he, he gave me the CD story. He goes, you spend, he goes, how many fans show up to your shows? If your name is put on the bill that week. And I go, I mean, if I start pushing it and I say, no, 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 no. How many people show up to the show? If you put your name on the bill that week. And I go, I, I, maybe, maybe 10. <laughs> and he goes, okay, let's assume that's right. Let's assume 10 people will show up because you just put your name on the bill the week before the show. Mm-hmm. 10 people. How much are you selling your CDs for? Right? Yeah. I go, I don't know, five bucks, 10 bucks, depending. Mm-hmm. He goes, okay, you just made $100. How much did it cost you to make the, the CD? Mm-hmm. 10000 He goes, you don't have the demand. Then he goes, how many people show up to the show when you do push it? Oh, I said 50 to 100. He goes, great. Are those 50 to 100 your friends, family, and associates? And I go, yeah, we go to our friends and family. We sell them tickets. Mm-hmm. He goes, you just sold 100 CDs, and now you're done. Because mm. you can't sell the same CD twice. That's right. Right. And then what was my response? Well, that's why we're going to make a second CD. <laughs> so you're going to spend 20 grand to make 200 sales. This is brilliant, too, because I've been having this conversation today with writers. Uh, and, and it's kind of my big question for the day with writers is, uh, what do you do if, you're, if your book doesn't sell the way that you expect it to? And literally more than 75 percent of the people are like, write the next book. And so I've been creating that acronym, always be writing the next book. And I just throw the acronym up there and I'm like, but also do you change what you're doing? Or literally your goal is to sell a hundred copies of your book to spend two years getting a good book written. Um, The return on that is pretty pitiful. Well, let let me ask you a question and I'm going to ask you questions based on me being your consultant and developing your brand awareness. Okay. Uh, how many books do you have done? Okay. So yeah, done. I have nine books finished. Nine books. How mm-hmm. many sales have you made since the beginning of those nine books? Zero. Excellent. Now we're going to go back to your first book ever. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you were writing your first book, how many interviews did you set up before the book was done? Zero on my first Great. book. How many interviews did you set up while you were editing your book? Zero. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> How many interviews did you set up after you released the book? On the first one, still zero. Zero. That's right. So before your book was even made, no one heard your voice. That's right. No one. And by voice, I mean brand. Mm -hmm. Your brand is your voice. It's the things you care about and stand for. So when you watch somebody getting interviewed for their movie, they don't ask them about the movie. Right. But they do talk about what happened behind the scenes film in the movie or maybe Oh, man, my family was just in Australia. I got to hang out with Chris Hemsworth. It was really great. Okay. You're, you're hearing how they're human. Mm-hmm. Or boring. more importantly, yeah. yeah, their brand is human. And I know brand makes it sound like robotic. But if you think in terms of brand, you can think in terms of connecting with your audience. The thing is, your book has no voice. But let's say it does. Okay. For argument's sake. The issue is, will the voice maintain the same stability in the second book and let's say it does but here's the real issue are you going to read the book on that when you're being interviewed no so you're telling me your book is so awesome amazing and unique that someone is going to just pick it up keep in mind what got them to pick it up and you can't say cover because how do books go put into the 
to the stores. Mm-hmm. And let's say, oh, it's the cover. All right. How are they going to see it on Amazon? Oh, it's the cover. How are they going to see it on your website? So far, yeah. we're taking out the fact that they had to find their way to the book. But let's just say the fates allowed them to find your book. Mm-hmm. They pick it up. The first thing they see is the cover. Is your cover so good that it instills an emotional response where they turn it over to read the back? Then the back is so good that it makes them go, let me read the first page. And then your first page is so good <laughs> that they're like, I'm going to buy this book for $18 from an author I never heard. Yeah. Okay. All those, all those things have to happen for the idea of what a, an author thinks will happen to happen. Yeah. Three objections you had to overcome and not small objections, three large objections. And that's not counting, you know, how they found their way to your book. Exactly. And this is the issue. Ready? Where's the connection? What is the emotional connection? When you see Stephen King's books, mm-hmm. and I'm not a fan of his stories, but I, you know, I'm a fan of his process, yeah. right? Stephen King books have the same font for his name. Yes. Okay. But what's the biggest element of a Stephen King book? It says Stephen King really big. That's right. Because Stephen King is what sells the book. Mm-hmm. Stephen King could literally write Dumbo. Yeah. And people will buy it, not because it's Dumbo. In fact, they might even they might go, oh, it's probably about the elephant. Then they pick up the book and it's, you just see a guy killing a whole bunch of different people. And they're like, this isn't about an elephant, but I want to see what this is about because mm-hmm. Stephen King. Yeah. So authors need to put time into developing their brand and they don't like, for example, your Twitter, as amazing as your Twitter is. OK, your Twitter feed is more audience interaction. Mm-hmm. than it is brand representation. I think that that's true and untrue. And I mean, I'll, I'll, the reason I'll push back is mm-hmm. if you interact with me, then I give you myself, but you have to actually take the first step of interacting. So I've got a fishing hook in the water for you. I'm yep. not making a lot of statements. I'm waiting for you to bite. And then I'm going to try to reel you in by building a relationship one-on-one. The issue I have but with that's it right networking. now is it's, it, it is networking, but it's also brand building because then I have ambassadors like, uh, you know, there are people on Twitter now who are like, you've got yeah. to listen to his podcast. So I've got people who never listen to my podcast till they develop trust in me. And now they start to share my brand. I agree with you. And I, you're far more educated in this than me. So actually, I'm going to take some lessons from you while we're talking. But I've had people, you know, accuse me of being you know, bland. They're like, you don't ever say anything about yourself on Twitter. And I'm like, you don't ever well, interact with me. I would disagree with them that you don't ever say anything about yourself. You're saying a lot about yourself because you're curious and interested in how the process works and you want to learn from other people so you could develop your career. That's what I get when I see your Twitter. And I'm not saying that in a negative way Yeah, because we're authors, right? But you don't actually say anything. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where I would say is the biggest issue about brand building okay. is what are you saying? And by the way, that doesn't mean like I'm talking about my dogs. What yeah. is your mission and your purpose? Yeah. Right now, your mission and purpose is what I said it was. You're trying to understand the process so you could develop your career through the eyes of others and mm-hmm. learning, the pro- learning how it works. So what you're saying is, how can I better my career? through your experience. Yeah. Right. And again, I'm not saying there's anything negative about that, but if right. you're trying to create a brand, that's what you're creating. That is your brand. And if that's not what you want your brand to be, which I'm sure it is not what you want your brand to be, right. because it has nothing to do with what your books, my books, that's saying, right. But it shouldn't have anything to do with your books in the sense of 
this is my book. This is what it's about. Here's right. the cover. You should read it. That's not what I'm talking about. But your books are an extension of you. Mm-hmm. So even if your book is about murder and you're not a murderer, the, the hopefully. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, no confessions <laughs> while we're recording, okay? <laughs> we, we don't know. I mean, <laughs> can't trust blue shirts. Uh, so the, the idea is, what is important to you? What is your mission? What is your purpose in life? What, when you write your books, right? What is it in those books through all of the uh, murdering uh, as per the example, <laughs> all the murdering and all the characters, what is the mission inside that narrative? If you think of Stephen King, you're not just thinking thriller, mm-hmm. right? There's a constant, there's a, there's a, element of small towns why he grew up in small towns there's an element of family why he's close to his family there's an element of being outcast why because he was an out so right a lot of that is in there and then when he talks and does interviews all right this guy is grew up in a small town he talks about a small town almost every interview he's he's an outcast uh he was the one who you know whatever the case may be. Well, so talk to me then about making the shift on my Twitter profile, because I, I will be honest with you. I've been thinking lately that there are some changes I want to make. One, I don't spend the time there that I used to. It yeah. grows itself at this point. It has organically become its own thing, but I would like to make a shift. I would like to do some different things with it. And I find that in terms of engagement and, and eyes on it, as soon as I step away from a question, I lose that interaction. And so- yeah. You know, what are the kinds of things? Is Twitter just not a space to build a brand, would you say? Or oh, no, what's no. your you, thoughts there? You could definitely build a brand on Twitter. You could build it anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, well, one, I, be, I believe you use like a, a, pre, a, a pre-scheduler, like a buffer or something like I that. I do, yeah. Yeah, I, I could tell. I could do by, by, by the way it posts. It's very uh, without flaw. Yeah. You know, like yep. it just it's posted. Yep. Um, and the, the the thing that you could do. So truth in action. Right. When it comes yep. to branding, you have to become the truth of your action and the action that you do becomes your truth of your mission. So once you understand what is important to you, and by the way, it can't be to make money selling books. That's not a mission. A mission changes or elevates the world around us mm-hmm. or and that could be to uh, not inspire, per se, but inspire what specifically in people to inspire them to look into themselves and better themselves. So I'll give you a quick example. One of my missions is always very, very vocal about is teamwork, loyalty, uh, um, helping one another, um, uh, educating people to uh, correct the misconceptions of our industry so they don't get taken advantage of and create the power for themselves. So if, and those aren't all my missions, but let's just say that is my mission. Would you say when you go to my Twitter, I share and elevate other people. I talk about teamwork constantly. I'm always trying to give educational things without it being just straight lessons. I do. I do those things. And that's how you do it. You have to do the thing you believe you want to do, but you mm-hmm. can't say it. I can't go on. I can't go on Twitter and be like, I believe teamwork is important. Right. I can't do that because now I'm pushing. Mm. And when you push, you push uh, an agenda and you, and you obviously push people away. So you have to just do things or represent the things that are important to you. And I will be honest, branding does not get the instant gratification that people are looking for. 
but you create longevity. I have been doing this for over 20 something years. Okay. Just the other day, I saw something that said 25 years uh, because you get those anniversaries. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I've been doing this for 25 years. I have not worked a day job since probably 2005. Mm -hmm. I've been doing what I do, which is I make a living in entertainment. I help people and I do my own thing. I don't, I wake up at 12, Mm. (laughs) you know, I'm in that situation because of my brand, because I establish my community, because people, I get hired all the time to write for people. I get hired all the time to help edit people's stuff. I get hired all the, but they're always referred, mm-hmm. right? I'm not like, how often do you see me post? Hey, by the way, you could hire me. I'm a writer. Right. Exactly. Which I really am glad you don't do. And it's something I try to discourage people away from is yeah. don't, don't advertise that you're willing to do a wage job. Um, the minute you do that, you devalue yourself completely. So. Yes, there is a way to do it and it's sure. a ratio. So if all I posted was, hey, you should hire me, I'm going to fa- fail. But if I do mm-hmm. a video on writing and people yes. see that I can write mm-hmm. and they understand that I know what I'm talking about, that is the I write. Yes. OK. Um, however, the other aspect of building your brand is that you have to influence other brands that represent mm-hmm. your missions. So. Uh, for example, on my Twitter, um, anytime someone posts something very positive or they hit a milestone, what do I do? I celebrate that and I retweet it with a quote. Mm-hmm. I add my voice to right. that tweet. And what that's doing is it's saying, wait a minute, he doesn't just talk about elevating people. He doesn't just become these missions, mm-hmm. but he's showing us the audience that he cares about these things. And I do like it, the sincerity is that uh, it's not right. once in a blue moon. The sincerity is that I'm very aggressive with it. So those you are things what? that I you think, can do. I think that what you're saying does speak to the part of the brand I'm building as I'm thinking about it and trying to test myself in, in like how true are the things. Um, one of them is consistency. I guarantee you, I respond to more tweets on Twitter than anybody else in my circle. I just, because of the sheer volume of time I put into it, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interacting with people. And that level of availability, I think says something about being part of the writerly community, which I think is really yeah. important. And I think that's part of a mission is saying, um, I, I spent a long time doing it wrong. I, I thought my book would speak for itself. I got my undergrad, then I got my grad degree, both in writing. I yeah. write some damn clean sentences uh, and I write some, some nice polished stories and whatnot, but I didn't know anybody. And I literally, I thought they were a waste of my time because Mm -hmm. the more that I had to spend time with them, the less I could be writing. And if writing is what I want to do, then screw all you people, except I kind (laughs) of missed out on many of the most important parts of writing, which you have to get beat up pretty hard before you realize that you need other writers and readers in your life to make this whole thing work. And then you start to enjoy it. When you see the need for something, I think that that can bring in the entertainment. Um, I'm, I'm going to stop and backtrack a teeny bit because you talked about money. I want to talk about money and marketing. It yeah, is a, it. a passion of mine. So I want to hear your perspective. Too many writers will just say, oh, I don't care how much money I make on this. I just want people to read my books. I don't care how much money I make. And I'm like, they're not businesses. Compute. Yeah, exactly. So talk to me a little bit about money, marketing, advertising um, with that frame of reference, I guess. 
Hi, this is Adam Lamb, producer and host of Chef Life Radio, the only podcast dedicated to chefs who want to enjoy their careers without sacrificing their lives. Chef Life Radio, available everywhere you get your podcasts. All right. Well, the first thing is you have to you have to set a budget, right? Because you don't want to go into I'll just spend as much as I have to spend <laughs> just to get what I want to get. Uh, for example, I've seen authors spend four hundred dollars, five hundred dollars on a cover, uh, but they won't spend anything on an ad. I've seen people spend three thousand dollars on an edit, but they won't hire a publicist. And that's the like I could ask you nine books. How many times have you hired a publicist? Never so far. Okay. How many books have you sold? Zero. You know why? Uh, because I'm trying to go traditional publishing and it takes for freaking ever to traditionally uh, publish. Well, but then why didn't you hire a publicist? To get a traditional publisher? I mean, yeah. talk to me about that if you want to, because I'm, I'm all ears. I have a, a literary well, agent, but not a publicist. Why would a publicist uh, hire you? Why would they sign you? That's a good question. Because I'm building How, how much now. money have you made in nine books? Mm, $50. $50. <laughs> so if they sign you, Mm-hmm. They're not going to give you a signing bonus, right? Or it's going to cost them yep. to make you money, right? Which comes into my favorite phrase without even saying it. If you sign me, I will make you money. And then they have to respond with, but I already make money. Why do I need you? Because yep. my book is awesome, amazing, and unique. Of course it is. You're a freaking human being. And all human beings are awesome, amazing, unique. All human beings have something to say. Well, mm-hmm. you know, it's all that. So if you could get rid, I'm not saying you, I'm saying the royal no, please, you. And you can still, I mean. Well, yeah, but, so. but this is a royal you statement. It's, it's get rid of the ego. Mm-hmm. Be, look, you need two brains, artist brain, business brain. The artist brain should never think business. And the business brain should never think art. And when you're writing, artist brain the hell out of that. Write literally whatever it is you want without thinking twice. What is important to you? What do you have to say? But once that book is done, shut off the artist brain. Stop thinking that your book has any value and that you're the best thing since sliced bread and start thinking like a business. And that's where money comes in. You have to have a budget to maintain a the creation of that book. How much am I able to spend to make the book? Mm-hmm. Then B, what is my marketing budget? And C, does that include a publicist? And then you say, well, why do I need that? Right. Well, why, why would a, why would a publisher need the, why would I need to hire a publicist to get a publisher? Mm-hmm. Well, if people hear you talking and they start hearing your missions and purpose, not by going on, you know, like imagine I got in an interview and I'm like, I believe in teamwork. You know, I, I believe we should educate people. Like that's not really what I mean. What I mean is going on yeah. there and talking about things that are important to you. Right. So obviously if you care about, homeless people start oh i could get involved in this uh, movement to help the homeless people if you you know what i'm saying like yeah uh so and also if you go and do an interview and i see it all the time mm-hmm. and all you do is talk about your book you've already lost you've right. failed you're pushing yeah. you're pushing an agenda and you're pushing your audience away but if you go on there and they say why did you get into writing and you know your missions minus teamwork and you go and they go hey thomas why did you get into writing and my publicist got me seven interviews in a row where I have to answer mm-hmm. this stupid question. And I say, oh, you know, writing is uh, one of those great things where it's just filled with a sea of authors. And once you start really getting into that community, it allows you to understand that we live on Earth, but authors live on different planets and different worlds. And they're creating these characters and these humans that are amalgamations of the people in their lives and their experiences. And there's just such a rich aspect to working with others that have our like-minded 
what am I doing right now? Right. Am I talking about my book and why I got into writing? Exactly. No, I'm talking about my mission. I'm talking about things that matter to me. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And so one, one of the things that I do want to point out for people who are listening is that there is a point when, if you are grassrootsing things, you can trade your time for an outcome. So part of that is actually my Twitter profile right now. It is a free way for me to do some of the things that we're talking about. The podcast is a way to have a free publicist. It gives me a small area. It's true where I, I have a little bit of authority on the things that I know. And then I yeah. get the opportunity to interview on other podcasts and things like that. There, there has to be a point where you flip-flop, where it's no more trading my time for money. I now have to figure out how to have 75 me's going in all different directions. And that's where hiring a publicist to me makes a lot of sense is yeah. that that person can do a lot of the legwork for you. I mean, hire a virtual assistant if you need somebody to manage a calendar, some efficiencies to make you uh, multiply. Uh, but I do think in the beginning, there is an argument for, I will even trade edits with somebody early on in a book. Now, ultimately yeah. I'm going to hire somebody who's like way above my reach that they're not going to need my help. So I'm going to have to pay them, but there's a lot early on that you can do free. And I'm okay when people understand that, as long as they know that at some point it comes down to putting your money out on the table because you can't play this game if you don't have money being lent places. Yeah. And uh, you also have to put into account that uh, you're putting a lot of money into a product that has no demand. Right. But you're not putting any money into the brand, which is you to build that demand. Right. If we're talking specifically about that book idea, I'm editing it and stuff. But, you know, the podcast is my brand. I believe anyways. I, I mean, well, I the podcast, podcast isn't your brand. I am the reluctant book marketer. And that's kind of the brand that I'm building right now. Well, all right. Let's say you are the reluctant uh, what is marketer. it? Book marketer. Mm -hmm. That's not your brand. That's okay. a representation. Uh, that's a presentation of your brand, right? Yeah. But it. But all it's saying is that you're re you're reluctant to market, right? But the representation of listening to the show is the actual marketing and the actual branding. Okay. Get a little more granular because I don't know if I'm following you, and I think if I'm not, maybe the people listening aren't. That's fine. Quite, that's fine. Yeah. So let's say uh, I, uh, I have a band, mm. right? And the band's name is Altanian, let's say, right? Hypothetically speaking, because that's what it is, right? <laughs> Altanian, all right? I am not, my brand is not Altanian, even though the name is weird, right? But what is my brand in that situation is I could say Altanian all day. I could say, hey, you should listen to Altanian, okay. but I haven't talked about brand yet. In fact, I could give you a CD and you could listen to the songs. And I'd be like, did you like the songs? You're like, they were all right. But until you understand my position, right, of what I care about, those songs will only mean whatever they mean to you. And that means I have to maintain your perception of them. And I can't do that because then that's your brand creating mm -hmm. a story for these lyrics, right? Okay. So uh, your podcast is just the name, but it's what you talk about and how you talk about it that is the actual brand. So just mm -hmm. seeing the title has no value. Okay. Okay. But yeah. once we establish a relationship with that brand, seeing the uh, seeing the title becomes mm -hmm. the next Nike or the next right. when you see M M McDonald's, you automatically have emotional recalls of what it means uh, to know what McDonald's is. Mm -hmm. You know, or if if, if you Nike's the same thing. Like for example, when I said McDonald's, what was the first couple of things that popped in your head? 
Yeah, the Golden Arches. I mean, it's is up yeah. there, and then you know, cheeseburger because that's what I used to love about McDonald's. So, and that and that's the point is our emotional connection to brands is about us, right? But your brand is about you. However, you can't present your brand in a way that is to try to sell to people. You have to just be true to yourself so people mm-hmm. buy into the empathy of your brand. Yeah, that does make sense to me. I, I do understand uh, exactly what you're saying. I don't even think I have anything to add. I'm, I'm, I'm clear there. <laughs> so Very clear. Yep, yeah, I'm fully clarified as far <laughs> as that goes. I, I'm, I'm interested then in the idea of all of this building that we're doing, you're sort of intertwined into all of it, the brand, the you that you present, the things that you're doing, where would you say are the biggest areas that I am sabotaging myself? Where are the listeners, uh, writers sabotaging themselves in building a brand? And that's aside from the obvious, you know, buy my book, buy my book, buy my book, like the actual stuff that they're trying to do to build their personality. Where, where are we misstepping? This is for everybody. There, there are two things, okay? One, you're either presenting the voice and, and the importance of a mission that is not selfish, okay? Or you are, and that's where they go wrong. If you are presenting selfish. a selfish mission, yeah. you are failing. You cannot make money on that. You can't. And if you think you can, think about how long you've been writing for. Mm-hmm. Think about how much money you've made, mm-hmm. right? But if you represent a mission, if you're trying to say something of value to the world, right? It doesn't have to be grandiose. It just has to be you're saying you're trying to say something. You're going to create a connection. And there's a difference between I want to make money or a living writing because I love writing and I don't want to go to a day job. You've already started failing. That's a selfish reason to write. You should never write. And this is why when I teach people or like, you know, my self-help book and stuff like that. It always states, create a financial foundation that supplies you for 18 months so you cannot have to work a day job and you could focus on building your career by getting involved, by building relationships with people, by you know getting into that community, whatever that community is that you're interested in. The goal is to have the freedom to say yes, but more importantly, to say no, because what you say yes to becomes your brand. What you know, like if I start working for a company. Right. Let's say I wanted to get a career job. Right. Uh, You know, and I find out that company is taking money away from homeless people. Right. Homeless communities. I would have to quit that job because that's not what I believe in, even if I'm making fifty thousand dollars a year, because then I am representing through action that I support that even if I don't. And that's the issue. Name one person that didn't. Well, I. I gave Johnny Depp a little, a little, because uh, you know, <laughs> I was like, I, I don't think he was abusive. He's too docile to be abusive. But the majority of the world was like, well, Amber Heard said he's abusive, so he's abusive. Mm-hmm. And the truth was only based on the lying of the photos and the lying of the whatever she presented. I mean, she was saying she was, you know, donate. She donated all this money, and it turned out she never donated any of it. Right? She became the truth of her actions as mm-hmm. they were discovered. But people believed what they were saying about Johnny because she created the illusion of his truth in action. Mm -hmm. So you only are there based on whatever the audience is seeing. So even if you don't believe in in destroying the homeless and the company you work for is destroying the homeless, you got to leave that. So by having that financial foundation, okay, 
you have the ability to literally do the thing that you need to do, which is mm-hmm. not right, but get involved and build your brand, build your awareness, build your uh, your value sets, and just this is the easiest thing to say. Ready? Mm-hmm. You can't be successful if it's about you. And if you think that's true, who signs you? Who buys your books? Right. Who edits? So, <laughs> where I want to go with this is a, a, a couple of things that at least on the face might might uh, contradict that idea. So uh, there's a program out there. Um, I'm not going to mention the name of the program, but I took part in the program. I paid a healthy penny to be part of the program. That was mm-hmm. part Five of the grand. Invest. Yeah, I wish I wish it was only that, but I paid more. Um, and, and I really felt confident after doing my research because that person had spoken something into my life that I was really resistant to. And the yeah. longer that I sat on that nugget, I was like, that's the truth. That's why I'm not succeeding because I'm not doing that thing. And it made me angry. And I tried to resist it until finally I was like, well, if that person identified it so well, then clearly that was a problem. And I ponied up and spent the money. And inside the program, I was part of a growing program that I think quadrupled in size just while I was there. Went from being, uh, you know, maybe making $80,000 a year to being a millionaire within the span of 60, 90 days or so. Just a glut of business came in because that person found an inspiring message that other people were like, yes, this is what I want. So there is a way that you can build a brand and be very, very good at making a promise and you don't even have to deliver on the promise. And I think that when the wheels get spinning, you can shame people into staying like part of a community. Well, wait a second. It it didn't work for me, but maybe that's because I'm still doing something wrong. Like I'm not willing to make a sacrifice. Maybe that's the problem. And then there's a gentleman named Grant Cardone. You may or may not have heard of him before, but he wrote some pretty popular books, The 10X Rule. Um, I wish I remembered some of the other titles because they're ludicrous and his graphics on like his cover art is, is ludicrous as well. One, he's straddling a jet engine. This is a guy who talks about <laughs> who talks about growing business hugely. Yeah. Um, and every time I see these people now, there's part of me that thinks uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's another guy like, oh, here, I'm here to help you. I'm here to make you your best you. I'm here to do all this stuff. I think there's something more subtle going on. So talk to me about that, because that seems to defy what you're saying. Gary's claiming it, but not doing it. Grant's not even claiming. It. He's like, F you. I'll show you how to do it, but not because like I care about you. I just know how to do it. So you know what you got to do? You, you, you got to go on. You go on your app. Okay? <laughs> exactly. You go on eBay. And, and you find couches, right? And you're like, oh, people are trying to buy couches. And you you just you just kind of organize it as the most expensive couch. And then you go out, you buy a couch, and you sell the couch, you make a thousand dollars a week. That's right. That's my that's my Gary V. Yeah, and it's uh, right on. I knew right away. <laughs> <laughs> I, listen, I love Gary V's brand and like what he's doing. It's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Gary V knows what he's doing, but he expects you to do what he does, even though he had the supply of wealth, mm-hmm. which gave him what the freedom to do what say yes yeah. and no. But mm-hmm. he's telling someone like, you know, that has a dream to do something. And he goes, all you got to do is you just find you want cups. You want cups? Go look. You can find mugs. People buy a mugs. Look at this mug. Four hundred dollars. For- Listen, not everybody has the freedom to go out and search for mugs all week. Right. But I believe you do if if you sacrifice your time to save up enough money to invest in yourself to have 18 months of capital so you can make an attempt. Mm-hmm. I did it and I retired very young. 
Mm-hmm. And now I just do whatever I want. Okay. And the way I did that is I worked three jobs. I, I had a place to stay. However, I slept in my van and showered at my friends and I ate whenever I could. I slept on my breaks. I just, I just, for a whole year, I just worked, worked, worked and saved every penny. And then yeah. I quit all three jobs. And then I started making a living in the music industry. Yeah. So similar to me, I bought, I bought rental houses, you know, and then like I took some huge swings and some big risks and yeah, built up like a, enough of a nest egg that I could do this thing I want to do and say yes or no. So that is true between the two of us. Correct. Yeah. And if you have that freedom though, you can waste it. I, yeah. I've seen, I've had clients where they've saved up because uh, they, they were, uh, you know, like I, I just got to get out there. So they saved mm-hmm. up eight months mm-hmm. and this is the issue, right? I also believe in the safety net method, which is, uh, let's say I have 18 months and my safety net is say three months. So if I could afford three months of my overhead, right. Or more, mm-hmm. every time I make money, I split it 60, 40. Yeah. Right. So I'll put 60% into my three needs of purpose, which is security, growth, and dream. And then the other 40% I put back into my foundation account so I can maintain growth to it. Right. Yeah. That security protects me just in case I lose everything. Uh, the investment, the, the growth is so I can invest in assets. And then the dream is so I could uh, reward myself. If I want to go on vacation or something, if I allocate enough money, I go. Mm-hmm. But I don't touch my overhead money. I just let that afford my overhead, right? And most people don't do that. So if they save up the money, then they stop working and they're like, well, I have, I have eight months. And you're like, well, you need 18, but I have eight. And then every, every dollar they make, they don't do that split. They just put it into their foundation because they, they're yeah. like, well, I need 18 months. But the other thing they do is like actors, I tell them not to act. I said, don't try to get acting gigs. Mm. They go, but I want to be an actor. But no one knows you want to be an actor. Well, I'm going to audition and they'll see me. So you plus 1000 other people are Mm going to be seen and they're going to know you want to be an actor. Right. No, they want They know a thousand people want to be actors, but you're not standing out. So you have to get involved. Well, I have to make money. So I, I'm really curious about this too. I had a guest on the show and um, she and I talked about it openly. So it's not a secret. Lena Crow, um, she's got a great book out with Viking right now. Uh, she's got another one coming soon. It's a collection yeah. of stories. She is the classic story that everybody believes is going to happen to them. It happened to her. She was my classmate uh, at Spokane. Like a no, uh, nobody knows about this MFA. It's a really mm-hmm. small MFA program. Well, she was friends with somebody who decided that he wanted to take a shot at being uh, pitching film scripts uh, and getting them bought in L.A. And so he said, you mind if I take your story and pitch it? And it got optioned uh, by Jordan Peele. And then she had another short story just recently get Mm -hmm. optioned to be a film again. And she has no brand. She cannot say, I'm going to make you money. She had apparently really good stories. And yes, I think Sinkhole is a fantastic story. I love that story Uh, better Uh, than most stories I've read. I need to pause you because I don't yeah. think you're seeing the process. You're just seeing the results. She wrote sure. a she wrote a script. Someone pitched it, and they bought it. You're not seeing the process. Okay. I know the process because I've been in the film industry for so long. Yeah, and I have pitched, and I'm telling you right now, they did not sign it because of her script. Right. I I do agree with you, but then what, because that's her perception and she's the one who wrote the story, not even a script, just a short story. Artists see the results. Okay. If I do A, I get B, Mm -hmm. but she's not seeing, how did that meeting go where the conversation got them interested? Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you right now, the majority of conversations that get people interested are, do I trust this person? 
Do I have yeah. a good vibe with them? Uh, are they friendly? You know, if I give a little, pu- I've seen, I've seen people give a little pushback to see how aggravated someone gets. <laughs> okay. I've been in those rooms yeah. and I'm like, that was so funny. And they're like, well, sometimes if you have a thought or a feeling, you, you have to challenge it to see if you're right. Mm-hmm. And when, when they come back with a passion or they come back with judgment, you know, this is not the right relationship. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on in that pitch room. Right. But do you really think, and let me hear you, you tell me if I'm wrong. Do you really think she wrote the script? The guy was like, Hey, I want to, I want to, I want to try to pitch this script. I don't know who you are at all. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I, all I know is I, I felt in my head, there was a script, right? right? He just woke, the guy woke up one day and was like, Oh, there's a script. I need to sell it. And then he showed up and was like, listen, don't say a word. Just give me your script. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go sell your script. Then he appeared in L.A. And then mm-hmm. the first person he just he pulled the script out. And the first person was like, whoa, I want it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that happened? You know, I, I of course not. And what I do think is that there is a little bit of a challenge for writers who are looking at the situation, including the artist herself mm-hmm. and thinking um, there can't possibly be only luck involved. Now, yes, zero a pre, I, and I agree with you. I want to, I mean, I'm stating that because we're actually on the same side of the conversation, you know, quite a bit more about the whole process than I do. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Um, but what I do see is that she built a friendship with somebody who happened to have a desire to do something. And she didn't build a relationship with him because of what he would eventually get her. It Correct. was actually her ignorance that served her really well in that situation. But if we want to replace a couple of the elements in this conversation, I now am the person with the short story that has uh, this person that I know. And I realize that that person has the ability to get me from A to B if I can make a good impression. Now you've changed the ingredients a little bit. Can you still succeed? Or what are the ways that you don't go about sabotaging yourself? Because you just have talked a lot about being selfish. And the minute mm-hmm. you know somebody can be of use to you, yep, I don't know how to untangle those things. Well, first of all, a circle of influence is not a circle of people that can influence your career. There are people, there are a circle of people that influence good habits. Mm-hmm. So when you surround yourself with people, you can't say, what can they do for me? Right. They have to be people that inspire you to be better. With that said, what can you provide to the table of that relationship? Right. What was the first thing on your head? Oh, he helped this friend get their thing signed. Mm-hmm. I have a thing. He could help me. Or was it, who do I know that could absolutely best help this person, vice versa, and it's a good, strong, double-sided relationship? Was that your first thought or was the, the first thing I said your first thought? Well, in the scenario I came up with, I, I do think that probably it's, it's the first one. Like, this person helped that person. I know of that course. person can help me. Which, if you look at your brand and your mission, it was selfish, which means it's a failing mission. So then you say, well, how do I get in there? I just gave you the answer. Who do you know who would, A, benefit from that relationship, and that relationship will benefit from the person you introduce? There's something I do whenever I meet someone of value. And by the way, everyone has value. When I say person of value, I just mean that they're, they're, they're moving along within their industry. They have authority and influence. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. The first thing I do is I think of three people that will benefit the relationship both ways. And then I ask them, may I introduce you 
to this. I do one at mm-hmm. a time. I go, may I introduce you right. to a person I know? And I always try to give them the like the mid tier person. Mm-hmm. And if they say yes, I go, great. I introduce them. What happens is they meet, they hit it off. They see that there's a value in both of them. And then what happens when I ask if I could introduce the second person? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Send they want. They come in. They have a great relationship. By the third person, I go, hey, is it all right if I? And he goes, if you, they, they always do. Uh, you send me anyone you want. You don't have to ask me. I trust that the people you're going to send me are not a waste of my time. Yeah. And even if nothing comes out of that relationship, as long as something connecting them does, that's a valued connection. Mm-hmm. My first thing isn't how can I get something from this person? Right. The, my first thing is literally how do I build the people around me? I have someone in the industry that I basically mentored and helped and I get work from her all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's because all I did was really push and help her because I believed in, her. I saw something really great in her as far as like, she had a lot of the qualities that were important to me, the loyalty, honesty, accountability, uh, self growth, you know, th- things, things that really stand out to me. Like when, when I meet people, if you have these qualities, I step up and I'm like, what can I do? To help this person not yeah. what can i you know and right. and because of that i've gotten at least six writing gigs from it i've gotten some you know i've made pitch decks all over the place mm-hmm. for and the point is how do i get these relationships to grow give to those relationships you cannot yeah. ask right until you have and that's the thing some people their first instinct is here's an opportunity for me mm-hmm. And that's not building. That's a terrible. Imagine how how much would you love your children? Okay, right. And and this is for anyone who has kids. How much would you love your children if every time you heard from them, the first thing out of their mouth is, "Can I have money or I need something?" But isn't that what children do? No, you're supposed <laughs> to teach them to be self efficient, uh, self sufficient. Yeah, right. But you're also supposed to teach them to be compassionately giving. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed. I mean, I'm not telling anyone how to raise their kids, but what I'm saying is a decent human being is not a gimme, gimme, gimme. A decent human being is I need to add to the community, be it the community of the people that have like minded thoughts as me or give to the community for growth or give to the community. That's why, like, when people are mad at Elon Musk, I'm like, do you understand what he gives to the community Mm -hmm. and what technology he I don't know if you know this, but uh, all his patents are available for people to use yes to me that speaks just right and i mean it's it's not an elon musk conversation but also all of the tesla charging stations will now be able to charge any any electric vehicle that drives up to them which is the vice versa of everybody else trying to build their own world he's like i'll just give you mine it's fine correct Um, that's a deep level of confidence that he's going to continue to innovate and i think that we would all be really well suited to to borrow that and know like hey if if this one idea like you know if i give a book away for free to get some attention that's not a big deal because it's not the only good idea i'm ever gonna have um well uh, let's say let's say before you say uh just so the audience doesn't get confused with that sure it's it's not about giving the book away it would be about giving the process of writing that book away Yes, right. It's it's all of the time and energy that you spent on the book. You're giving that away. And no, 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 no. What I'm saying is, if someone the 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 source material is the mm-hmm. process of how you wrote the book. Like if you if you just put on the internet and you said, "Look, oh, I'm this you. is how I wrote the book, and this was the process. This is how much money it cost. 
Mm-hmm. That if you gave that away for free and then charge it, that would be the same as giving the patents away. Yes. Uh, giving the book away would be him giving away a Tesla. I think that that's I think that that's really true. And I think just going back to the idea of the uh, gentleman, well, I'll cut that. The person whose program I signed up for uh, had that person given away their stuff for free. That's what you're talking about. Instead Correct. of saying, hey, pay this, you know, X number of dollars to be part of the program. Yeah. They give it away for free. That's kind of the same thing that Elon is doing. I, exactly. I, I do believe that that's true. Um so I, I want to continue to press on this because you have not convinced me yet that okay. you're not as selfish as I am um, and that you are very intentionally going through a process to add value to people before you ask. But if we're going back to Gary Vaynerchuk, that's jab, 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 hook. Yeah. You know? But I also don't ask. And that's so, I mean, let's talk about that part of the the process as well, because I think uh, from everything I've seen, there comes a time when you have to ask or you miss opportunity. Um, So you create opportunity by being proactively involved in your community. Okay. If you're, let's say you and I hung out all the time mm -hmm. and then someone came to me and said, Hey, I want to hire you to write a book, but I'm really busy. Who's the first person I'm going to go to, to ask if they can write a book for me? Right. Yeah. You're going to ask me and that's I'm going to ask you because you're the closest and most familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Right. So if I'm available to help others help themselves and I don't ask, I'm naturally going to be asked. However, I don't care if I'm asked because that's not why I do what I do. I do what I do because I don't like seeing people getting taken advantage of. So therefore, mm-hmm. I give a lot of a majority of my speaking engagements are free. And the one thing that I get as feedback is they go, I came in here expecting it to be a pitch and I couldn't mm-hmm. write fast enough to get the information you were given out. Good. And then I end every, every speaking engagement. I go, if anyone is confused or needs a follow-up question, just email me. As long as it's about this seminar, I will, I will clear it up or make it more articulate and I will send it your way. And never at my sessions, uh, never in my speaking engagements do I go, by the way, I also consult. You can hire me. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. It's always you need to know this because you're being taken advantage of. And it's ridiculous that people are taking advantage of your naivete. When I see actors, writers, musicians, anybody like here's the thing about actors. You need you need an acting, a real you need headshots and, and you need a resume. Right. And then you say, well, who casts film? And they go casting directors. And I go, that's not true. The producer is the final say in who gets cast. The director has the artistic direction of that casting. And the writer uh, usually has a character in mind. So it limits the casting option. So the mm-hmm. order of importance is writer. Uh, uh, writer is the least important. Director is the second important. And then the producer is the most important when it comes to casting. Mm-hmm. Now, if you look at most people like Stephen King or uh, George Lucas, he writes, directs and produces it. Mm-hmm. So who's casting it? His casting director or him? No, casting director's job is very hard and very important. They minimize, minimize, they organize and shrink <laughs> ten thousand opportunities down to five, mm-hmm. and then the director will say, "I'm into this." Right? It's the same thing with writers and everything like that. So when actors, they're they're always like, "Oh, I'm I I, I just got to find the right casting directors. I, you know, I need to act and stuff like that." And it's like. 
the misinformation, the, the misconception is you need an acting reel, you need a, a, a resume, and, and you need a, a headshots. And in reality, you need relationships. You need yeah. to get involved. You need a brand. And then people go, well, my reel is my brand. Your reel is literally the worst version of your acting that you could possibly find at your level. Yeah. Right. And every great actor started out crappy. Right. The, yeah. the thing is, you have to get involved to not act. So people are interested in hiring you to act, even if you're crap. And if you don't believe that's a thing, how many times have you watched a movie or listened to a song or read a book and you go, how the hell did this get picked up? Mm-hmm. And the reason it got picked up relationships. And then people say, oh, you got you got nepotism. You got this. You got. Yeah, of course. Right. Of course. Yeah. That's how I, the world works. I completely agree with what you're saying. And I also think that there's something interesting artistically that happens when you care about somebody that you put yeah. blinders on. And so I've seen this so many times with people that I really admire or care about that. They ask me to look at their work and it's hard for me to be like, this is shit. You got to put it away and yeah. do something different. And obviously I'm not going to deliver the message that way, but that's just shorthand for it is really difficult when you care about somebody to, to give them really hard feedback. So I think that things get greenlit that should not be greenlit based on people caring, but that's the power. Um, That's part of the conversation that I've been having over this whole question today through Twitter is, you know, it's, you have to understand that bad books sell lots of copies because the people behind the bad books have the connections that good writers lack. If we want to go all the way back to Brad Listy and talk about him what baffles me and what I'm afraid of for myself in light of everything that you're talking about is he, when he came on my show, I have this idea of a man in my head who has talked with thousands of authors. He knows hundreds of agents. He knows people in the publishing industry. Something he's doing is disconnecting. And, and listen, the, the other thing that's really scary for me is that he also appears on the outside to be everything you are talking about. He is mm-hmm. selfless. He is generous. He is promoting other people's books. He's not asking for anybody to do him a favor. There's no artist or author inside of his sphere from all of the interviews he's done that he said, hey, can you get me in the door with Penguin Random House? He published with a small press because mm-hmm. that's what his agent got for him. Yeah. You can't convince me that there's not somebody he could have pulled a favor from in all this time. He chose not to because he didn't ask. Right. Well, I mean, tell me, me tell this me way. I'm, I'm going to say you're wrong. And this is and this is why <laughs> okay. he had them on as guests. He doesn't have them on as friends. Yeah. And there's a major difference between, hey, I interviewed you at the end of the interview. By the way, I have a book. I was wondering if you give me a, a hookup. Right. There, there are people, every agent I ever got. And every manager I ever got, a friend introduced me. Mm. All right. There was only one time I ever asked, and I'd even ask for the guarantee. I asked mm. a, um, a friend that I had developed a relationship with over four years, and uh, I had been helping them with a lot of stuff. And I said, Hey, I was, uh, I don't normally do this, but I was wondering if uh, uh, you'd be uh, okay introducing me to some of your friends who are agents because I just wanted to start working with agents and not necessarily being signed, but I wanted to, I wanted to get involved. I was, you know, I wanted to be like, how do I get into that world to help them? Mm-hmm. And the reason I wanted to do that is because if I was friends with agents, I could help other people mm-hmm. meet agents. That was like my line of thinking is if I could get involved in a world and build a reputation and uh, then I can open the doors for people that should be in. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes, I'll do you one better. I'll contact uh, my friend who is a manager. And I will tell her to sign you. I go, oh, you don't have to do that. I just want to make friends. Long story short, 
uh, I became extremely co- close with that manager. Mm-hmm. She ended up hiring me, hiring me <laughs> to teach her the people she represented. She yeah. represented me. And uh, she was one of the first people that when I was diagnosed with cancer, showed up and gave me a blanket. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is the difference between me and someone else having a manager? Mm-hmm. I built a relationship with her and I talk to a lot of people. They go, I have an agent. I go, great. Mm-hmm. When's their birthday? Yeah. You know, when's their anniversary? Right. When did they start their company? Who do they represent? What's their favorite color? Do they have a brother? And yeah. the answer is like, you, you're represented, right? Yeah. And I, yeah, I, you have an agent. Correct. And no, I don't. Yes, actually, I, I did know her birthday a little while ago. I have it on a calendar, but I mean, I, I get exactly where you're going. And exactly. the answer is yes, I have not built a relationship too far down with her. But it's also because you and I fundamentally have had different experiences of the world. So yeah. the most impactful things that I have uh, had happen to me in my career to get me where I'm going is by me alone going out and having the audacity to ask for things. And as we're having this conversation, it's really apparent to me that while my process has not worked to get me where I want to be, it's gotten me far enough that I'm afraid to leave it behind. If such an action is required. And it would take a fundamental shift of like my worldview, which is I blind queried all the agents I queried. And I got her based on a blind query. Uh, Even when I was doing the real estate thing and building that, that three-year nest egg for myself, everything I bought, I bought because I found it. I went out looking for it behind me. I was creating the value you're talking about. I was conscious of needing to build relationships so I could get people to do really quality work on the houses that I bought that needed to be flipped and stuff. But every step of the way, the podcast that I've guested on with the exception of you have been a cold pitch. I've cold mm-hmm. pitched people and said, this is what I'd like to discuss. I think your audience would love to hear about it. And so in so many cases, it's me going out and asking, you know, whoring myself around, I guess. Um, and I have no issue with horse. So <laughs> yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, look, Asking is a numbers game, which is an artist mentality. I'm going to ask until someone says yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's like going to a bar and say, Hey, I think you're really hot. Can I have your number? No. Hey, I think you're really hot. Can I have your number? No. You're right. And when you find that one person goes, yeah, sure. Did you find the most valuable person in that group? Right. Did you find the most valuable opportunity? And if you're looking for opportunity, what are you giving to your life? I can say right now with honesty, I pay my bills with writing. Mm -hmm. And I have one book published and I've only sold a hundred copies of that book. And mm-hmm. people tell me I should market that book because I'm a marketer. And I go, I didn't write that book to sell it. Mm-hmm. I wrote that book as a promise to myself to write it because yeah. I had just beat cancer. And mm-hmm. I was like, I think I want to write this book. And, you know, there, there, there's poetry and stuff, but there's also like, you know, thoughts and ideas and stuff like that. Uh, however, I am a writer and I make a living as a writer. And why is that? Because I get paid to write. People yeah. hire me to write. And I never, I have never, ever, ever in my entire life asked to write for someone. Yeah. It's always been because I'm so involved with the community and so involved with the people around me and so giving to the people around me that who's the first person they think of? Mm-hmm. Me. And I don't take that lightly. What do I do when I get something nice like that? Sometimes I'll throw them a couple of dollars, you know, sometimes I'll buy them dinner. Sometimes I'll, whatever the case, sometimes I'll introduce, there's one person that hooks me up so much that I let them into my inner circle and I got them into the producing world of, uh, of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I don't just do that. I, I do it to people that I see doing things that matter to me, things that showcase their value as a human. And by value, I don't mean that they can open doors for people. It means that they open doors for people. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that's how I look at things. That's how I involve myself. Um, I, I'm not a fan of asking. I have a fr- right. one of my closest friends. He's like a brother to me. He's an asker. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the only people he asks are people at their top level that he has a relationship with. He will not cold ask. Right. And the first thing he does with every single person is give, give, give. And -hmm. he establishes the relationship and the value of being friends with him. And then he asks and then those people give. So there is a difference between asking and then earning. And I I have a thing called TAC, the art of conversation. It's called plus one, minus one. It's a, it's, it's a, basically a formula to relationship building. So every time you selfishly involve yourself in a relationship, you lose a point. And every time you selflessly involve yourself in a relationship, you gain a point. And if you have enough points earned, you can start charging, charging that relationship, those points. And you can look at any relationship you have, which relationships fall apart. The one that you're constantly using and not giving to, or the relationships that you have like a back and forth. I help you. You help me. Blah, blah, blah. But where does that relationship really start the back and forth? Once you develop enough points where they're your go-to friend. Yeah. Right. You're married, right? Yeah. 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 Did you get married because you went up to him and said, will you marry me? Well, I, let's not let's not actually talk about Mr. Rico Suave over here, because I, it's a shock that that she decided I was worth the, the gamble on. What I'm but, saying is yeah. the first time you met her. Mm hmm. And saw her wherever you saw her. There's no way you went up to her and was like, I know we don't know each other. Right, exactly. Yeah. But will you marry me? Exactly. No, you had to earn value in that relationship. You had to prove your worth. In fact, if you asked her on your third date, you think Mm -hmm. she would have said yes. Yeah, I totally understand where you're going. So that's my point is with relationships, you can either ask everyone until someone says yes. And Mm -hmm. what is that? What is that relationship then? And then you're saying, I don't really talk to my agent like that. So now your agent's supposed to represent you and do right by you, but you don't put time into that. So it was a cold cure to a bunch of people. One person said, yeah, and you kind of know their birthday because it's on the calendar, but you don't know all this other stuff and you're just waiting for them to do something for you and occasionally call them and say, hey, what have you done for me? Mm -hmm. Is that would you call that your best friend? No. Right. You know what yeah. I do with my, my agents? I buy say, what cake. do you need? What? Yeah. No, buy him cake. I said, <laughs> I buy, I do. I buy him. Cake. Yeah. Right, I go, right. what do you need? Mm-hmm. What, what are you looking for? What, you know, uh, do you, do you want to represent more people or less people? Uh, hey, next time you're in New York, let me know. I'll introduce you to some, uh, you know, directors I know, blah, blah, blah. I get them resources. Right. And it's the yeah. same thing with my right. When I had a writing, <laughs> my, my first writing agent hired me to help three of their writers. I consulted them on how to build their business because they're like, he's like, they write amazing books. They're on their fourth, fifth, and sixth book, right? Depending on who mm-hmm. it was. And right. they're not selling. They refuse. And you know what it turned out? They refuse to do interviews. They just want people to read the book and like the book. Right. Which is most authors that you talk to. Most authors are like, I'm an author. I'm not a marketer or I'm not a you know, filmmaker, yeah. an actor or anything like that. Yeah. I'm I don't want to do any of that. I just, yeah. I just, I write books and people should buy my books because they're great. Yeah. And you're just like, but no, no, that isn't, that right. isn't how it works. And, you know, I, I wish everyone would be successful, but mm-hmm. I also find it very emotionally angering for me mm-hmm. when 
I'll put it this way. So I started, I started as an illustrator in comics and I wrote, you know, I wrote and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but music became like the first big success I've ever had. Right. Yeah. And one of the best lessons I ever got uh, was from my grandfather. And he says, listen, do you really want to play guitar? And I was like, yeah, I want to play guitar. You know? And he's like, but how important is it? Mm-hmm. I was like, it's really important. I just I'm going to play. You know, people love it. And he goes, if you play guitar so people admire you, put the guitar down. He goes, the reason you need to respect this instrument is because you're not playing the guitar for you to be loved. Mm-hmm. You're playing the guitar to honor all of the people before you who a spent their lives mastering the instrument, b people wishing they could play the instrument, and c all the people that will come after you. Mm-hmm. you are not playing music for you the art is for you he said he goes but you have to respect the instrument and the stage there are people watching you on stage well one day there will be people watching you on stage that just wish they could have been up there even if you're making zero dollars mm-hmm. and you have to honor that you have to respect that and i was a child a child and when I got into art and music and, and acting and writing, I get mad when when people are just like, well, I, I made this thing and it, it should be successful. Mm-hmm. And it's why. Why should it be successful? Well, because I made it. Yeah. All right. How many other writers have you helped? What do you mean? Well, I have friends that are writer. They read my stuff and they give me feedback. Oh, they give you feedback on your stuff. Great. How 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 many writers have you seen uh, that aren't doing anything? And you said, I know how to do book readings i know how to get a book reading going do you want to do a book reading yeah but i don't know the first thing well i know how to do it i'm going to do it for you i'm going to help you do it mm-hmm. hey i know how to get interviews do you know how to get interviews no i believe in you i'm going to help you get interviews mm-hmm. how many authors do you know when they send an interview request to a to an interview outlet say uh get the interview and then after the interview they go I'm going to build this relationship by sending them other authors. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So, I mean, you have to ask yourself these questions. Like how, how, how many interviews have you done in the last month? Me? Yeah. Not, not on your show. Right, right, right. No, I know. Um, I mean, somewhere in the neighborhood of eight, eight. And how many of those interview shows did you uh, forward new authors to? Or, you know, author friends too. Probably half of them. That is one thing. Like some of the things that, that you're discussing, when it comes to me personally, I'm doing them unconsciously. Just like I'll think, oh, you know, Rich Hoshek would be a great fit for Frequency 99. So I just pass him off and say, you guys would be great. Or when I talked to Chris Talon, I told him you'd be great for the scuttlebutt. You're both, you know, military, you both have an interest in cannabis. Like there's a really good fit here. Yeah. Um, so I do that more naturally when I'm not necessarily thinking about, uh, what it's going to get me because, uh, and I'm because of the way that this conversation is going, I'm being a little bit more vulnerable in how I'm expressing myself good. and good. that, that may possibly backfire on me, but Chris <laughs> is in the, in the rearview mirror for me now, like what creative ops could do for me to elevate my career position is done the minute that he aired my interview. And it was really helpful. And, you know, so generally speaking, I've built that friendship because I like the dude. I, I yeah. enjoy him and I want to continue to help him forward because he helped me and, you know, yada, yada. So there's a lot of that just like natural stuff going on. Um, I'm still slightly incredulous about the idea that there's not more people thinking similarly to me, that there's a sense of guilt at like the climbing, 
You know, the climbing is a guilty activity, but at the same time, at the end of the day, I hate that cliche. The reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because I'm actually motivated that my novel is a freaking good book. It's a great story and I want people to read it. That's, that's the whole foundation of, of this whole thing that I'm building is I want that book in your hands because I know it's going to delight you if you give it a chance. And that's your mission, which then fuels your agenda, which then becomes your brand, which now, why would someone want to buy that book? Exactly. They don't have an interest to buy that book. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying your book is bad. I, I don't know I what your book that. is, you know, but you're approaching it about with the me. Do you watch television? I mean, do you watch television? Mm, it depends on what you call television. I watch some like Netflix oh. and stuff. Have Blinders, you ever seen a commercial? Have you ever seen a commercial? Right. Okay. Have you ever seen a McDonald's commercial? Mm-hmm. Does the McDonald's commercial end with, hey, by the way, you are going to love these hamburgers. You need to come to the restaurant and and, and eat, eat as many as you can. Get the number two. Do, does, does the commercial say that? No. No. But you know what it does some say? Some do, though. No, yeah. none of them do. None of them say that phrase. Right. They okay. give you they give you the scenery of enjoying the restaurant mm-hmm. or or the or everyone having fun. They're smiling and they and McDonald's specifically says, I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. I'm loving it. Right. Which is I am loving what I'm doing right now, which mm-hmm. creates FOMO, the fear of missing out. Yeah. The commercial is representing an experience through visuals not telling you this will be your experience. It's showing an experience. And then the person is supposed to be, you know, uh, you know, ominous and I'm loving it. Right. Mm -hmm. And right. So you have to look at even, even uh, Kentucky fried chicken person. Oh, uh, you know, this $5 meal. Oh, my grandma just sent me $20. I can eat for the week. Mm -hmm. Cause what is their, who's their audience? College students. And I, I want to say mostly potheads, but the uh, but the the point is for twenty dollars I could eat for the week now, mm-hmm. and they're selling that potential. Yeah. Now imagine you you as an author instead of trying to go, hey, this book is great. I th- I think it's a good book, and you should read it. That becomes a lie because you can't prove it. The only mm-hmm. way you could prove it is if they read it. But mm-hmm. now you have to fear their perspective. Right. That's why I tell people never get reviews. Do not work to get reviews because reviews are opinion based. Interviews are perspective based. Mm -hmm. They're introspective. They allow audience like (laughs) you you could tell I'm I'm an interview because I got you to open up about yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is more powerful as a brand tool for marketing than you saying, I really think my book is good and people should read it. Mm -hmm. Because the difference is, oh, my God, I have felt what Jody has felt. Mm-hmm. And the other one is, oh, is your book really that good? I, oh, you think I really should have it? Because what is, what, is the, what is enticing about your book being good that I should read it? That phrase. Mm-hmm. Think about it. Right. And that's, I mean, what I hear you saying too, though, is, is uh, we're a little bit zoomed out. So I'm not speaking to my audience of readers right now. I'm speaking to the audience of authors. And so I, I am saying it in a more generic way, but there, there still seems to me, and I, I'm fully open to having this conversation further, but there still seems to me to be something about speaking to the right person about the right thing. Um, and, and so like getting more into details about it, 
Dennis Lehane is the one who made me fall in love with mysteries. I really yeah. like, the, like the way he writes a mystery book and especially his early ones with Patrick and Angie, because they're two characters who are really smart. Their dialogue snaps. It's funny. The, mm-hmm. the stakes are always really high, but they're also very personal. And there's a romantic tension between them. Those yeah. elements are what make those books so freaking great to me. So mm-hmm. I wrote a book that is just like in love with those books and the characters in many ways are going to emulate that character experience. So the minute that I start talking to somebody who is a reader of mysteries and liked Patrick and Angie, they'll be like, Hey, you liked that book. That's why you're going to like this book. It's still not necessarily about, you know, what you're talking about. It's not, I'm loving it. It's saying, I know something about you. And so I can tell you, if you like those books, you will like these books, which is comping. And I'm, I'm sure you have some unique thoughts. So I do want to hear your thoughts on, on that process. So, you know, based on what you're really saying, uh, you know, you're not actually supposed to market to anyone, Uh, even though if you do a market analysis, you find a market. But that's for if you're going to put a ton of money into a specific uh, campaign. Uh, But in reality, to establish a brand as a writer and like, what is it? What do your books have? Like, what elements do your books have? You have to kind of just write what you write. And then your audience will find you that way as they develop a relationship with your brand. It's like Dennis Miller, the comedian. He fills up stadiums when he was popular, uh, but they're all there there to hear political jokes. Mm. But when he was developing his brand and going on talk shows and doing all these other things, there are probably some people that are like, why does he keep talking about Reagan? Right. You know, and, and that's the thing, like your book shouldn't be written or push to a specific person because you don't know who that specific person is. Mm. You can't look at someone and go, well, they have black hair, black clothes, they're goth. Uh, my book has gothic elements to it. I'll market to them. You, you just have to represent your, your brand and people that connect to that brand will then be interested in looking at what you have and eventually buy into what it is and then take a chance on you. This is the issue, though. If you focus on the book to sell your book to an audience to be like, all right, my audience is uh, they like mysteries. And you're like, Mm -hmm. hey, this is a mystery. It's a great mystery. You like mysteries. It's a mystery. And they read it, but they're not emotionally attached to your brand. They're either going to like the book or not like the book. Mm -hmm. And if they don't like the book, you'll never, ever, 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 ever get them back. Yeah. If they like the book. What happens is if the next book is not identical to that book, Mm. they might like it. They might not like it. If they don't like it, they're going to tell other people you're not consistent, crappy writing. You know, his his first book was really good. His second book was terrible, Mm -hmm. which I'm not saying those are the exact words, but that's how marketers think. Right. Yeah. But if you focus on the brand of McDonald's or the brand of Target or the brand of Walmart, right? Yeah. You're creating a relationship with your community. That's why when you go to Walmart, there's a very specific group of people who go to Walmart and there's a very specific group of people that go to Target. There's a very specific group of people that go to McDonald's. There's a very specific, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. um, Imagine Marvel didn't exist. And then one day they're like, Iron Man's a movie. Mm -hmm. Who would go see that? Well, that's back to 2008. I guess all the people who did see it or no, no one would see it. Because Marvel doesn't exist. Oh, you're talking about like the whole brand itself. Yeah. If Marvel didn't exist and someone made a movie called Iron Man, Mm -hmm. 
with Robert Downey Jr. Very was, different campaign, to say the least. It would be comp- it would, they would have to in the marketing explain what Iron Man is. Right. Right. But when you see Marvel now, you have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which means mm-hmm. what is it? Marvel's doing something different. Marvel's creating right. something. And people are in 11 years or 10 years of the market. Right. And people are involved. Oh, this is 10, 10 years in the making. And right. Do you see the excitement they're creating with the community, with the brand? Mm-hmm. So it's not really about individual movies. When they first made Iron Man, they were like Iron Man. Yeah. And they, well, man, they okay. we could we could go on such a long conversation about this, too, though, because there's DC and there's Marvel and there are different things distinct. I'm not a huge DC fan, except for Batman because of the ethos of Batman. I really yeah. like what he's doing. I find Superman to be boring. Always have. Like, no matter how many times people tell me it's really cool to have a perfect character and like explore those you know, boundaries. I'm like, no, it's just not interesting to me. He's pretty. And that's like, well, he's all. a Superman. Yeah, he's Superman. He's a Superman. <laughs> Superman. Yeah. <laughs> but so like that, I think what you're saying is true. And the other the other example I was thinking of is I am a big Stephen King fan. I love what he does. I like Bachman. Um, mm-hmm. As much as I really like the brand of Chuck Palahniuk and I enjoy listening to him interview, freaking hate his books. And so other than Fight Club, I will not read his books. I enjoy yeah. him. I dislike his product. Which is fine. Mm-hmm. But you still enjoy him. You still support him. You still like his stuff. You don't have mm-hmm. to buy his product, but you talk right. positively about it. Yes. And that does open the door for other people. Yeah. You know, and there is a like, again, I, I say I don't like Stephen King's stories because I don't like horror. Right. I just yeah. don't I just don't like those kind of stories. Uh, but I know that he's a he's a good writer and he knows what he's doing and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I'm not discriminating towards anybody that would be interested in a horror book. They just know mm-hmm. that I personally and my, my opinion on something has no value. I could say I don't like apples. doesn't mean apples are bad. I just don't like apples. Yeah. Right. Um, so you have to look at your marketing in the same way and your books in the same way. You know, some, some people like thrillers. Some people don't. Some people like mysteries. Some people don't. Right. But you can't market your book to mystery lovers. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like you have because, again, they're going to it's either going to be a mystery they like and they're going to judge mm-hmm. it based on all the mysteries they've ever read. Or they're going to like you and give it a chance. I, I contributed to a, a lesson that I was taught uh, in the music industry. They go, they go, uh, especially with Dream Theater. I'm a, I'm a massive Dream Theater fan, right? And every album that comes out, every fan of Dream Theater, and I, and I say that loosely, I, I'm generalizing, but it, the majority of Dream Theater fans basically go, this album sucks. It's not Dream Theater. They change the sound. And within six months, they're like, this is the best album they ever made. But the thing is, they still they know that's the continuous pattern. These the fans of Dream Theater are always like it's I hope this is going to be awesome. Oh, it's terrible. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. Like that's the, right. So they're always buying the next album, knowing that's what they're going to feel. Now, let's yeah. look at Metallica. OK, Metallica released their first album. I believe it was 60 to 70,000 units were sold. It wasn't okay. a lot. OK, uh, then uh, uh, I, that was Kill Em All. The Master of Puppets came out. Mm-hmm. They did a little bit more in a hundred thousand, you know, it was a hundred thousands. And then uh, Ride the Lightning came out still around a hundred thousand. Uh, then the Black Album came out. They toured for four years. Okay. The longest tour they ever did for an album. They did videos, right? The first video they ever did was one off mm-hmm. of Justice for All, but they didn't really do video. You know, it wasn't their thing. Right. Uh, but when the Black Album, almost every song had a video. Mm-hmm. 
uh, they did tons of press for it. They did tons of interviews. They did like box sets. Then they did four year tour. And then two years in, they did like a box set tour. Mm-hmm. Plus those songs were designed to be radio friendly. So they were on the radio all the time. Mm-hmm. They sold millions millions tens of millions of copies of the black album still to this day they sell that album Mm -hmm. what do they come out with next load their album sales went dropped Mm -hmm. and what was the big difference well from justice for all to the black album they went more commercial i'm not saying that in a negative way but they they refined their songwriting so it could be more radio friendly and they packaged it differently so it would reach a greater audience. The the actual advertisement of it was greater. And people bought into that, Mm -hmm. right? And they loved it and they became a part of that community, especially because the tour was four years. And like, oh, what year did you see that tour? But what happened was they cut their hair. The cover of Load is literally semen and blood. They had makeup on Metallica had makeup on mm-hmm. and eyeliner and weird this and weird that uh, they just got that, you know, new bass player who's by the way, one of the greatest bass players of existence, but uh, Rob G. <laughs> um, but the, the thing is people were like, what is this? And then the first song they released was a thing that should not be and I, or something like, I, I, I forget the name of it, but it had like, it did like two lines, chorus, two lines, chorus, two lines, chorus. And people were like, I remember hearing that song for the first time on the radio and the DJ shut it off and said, I will never, I am so sorry. I won't ever play that. He's like, let's find a real Metallica song. And they played something from the old days. Oh, geez. Now the album after that reloaded. If you look at their album sales, they constantly went down and they're nowhere near the black album days. Mm -hmm. So that's how important brand is. You can't disrupt brand with your audience because it influences their interest. Metallica is known for our community and they're known for like the way they do their interviews and they're known for their, their personalities and they're known for their just F it all kind of, you know, mm-hmm. and people outcasts and, and people that felt like they weren't being heard really connected to that. And then yeah. load came out and they were just like, these are, these aren't people I would hang out with. These aren't, this isn't what I thought. Like, these aren't my friends. Right. And it was so bad that uh, Alice in Chains, when they did the uh, their unplugged, uh, you know, MTV unplugged, mm-hmm. Metallica was actually sitting in the front row and uh, Alice in Chains had on their guitar and tape, whatever it says. Uh, friends don't let friends cut their hair. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was that impactful. Right. You know, so I'm just saying, you know, you should really focus on your brand. Mm-hmm. You got to get out there. You got to be seen. Right. And I'm not saying, hey, here's my book. I'm saying, here I am. These are things that are important to me. These are my that's why I talk about my mental health, because it's it's important to me that people break the stigma. That's why I talk about sexuality and sexual stuff, Mm because you got to break the the stigma in it. You got to be comfortable talking about those things, um, I think. I think, too, I agree with you. And that's a big reason why I talk about money. And for me, money is actually a super important part of this podcast is because too many people are afraid to talk about the importance of it in the artistic process and turning a book from a piece of art into an asset when it comes time to actually sell it. You need to get somewhere. So let's go ahead and wrap up. I would love to have another conversation with you in the near future um, because there's a whole other part of this conversation we never got to in almost two hours. Tell my listeners uh, where they can find you and how you most want them to connect with you. Okay. 
you know, Jody, thanks uh, for giving me this outlet. I really appreciate it. If anyone really wants to find me or discover me, uh, the best way is make a right left And, uh, you know, you got to say to yourself, do you have what it takes to make a right left here? Do you? Do you, punk? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's very simple. You'll find everything you need on uh, literally make a right left Perfect. I'll have it in the show notes. Appreciate your time, man. Yeah, no problem. Uh, uh, thanks for this. It was a great time. Uh, it was a lot of fun. So. Thank, you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a big favor right now. Click on the follow button in whatever podcast app you're listening on. That way you'll get notifications every time I drop a new episode. And if you still can't get enough, you can go to the show notes, click the link for my newsletter, and sign up today. I'll give you one to two interesting pieces of content every single month that you won't hear on the podcast or find laying around on the internet.